Our scripture this morning comes from Luke 3, 1 through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria, and Traconid. Ah, I messed it up. <laughs> his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria, and Traconid. Oh, I can't see it right now. Traconitus. And Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by, by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. The word of God. So as a number of you know, uh, we have three little boys at home. And uh, one great thing about having little kids is they love to play games all the time. Right, so they, they like uh, board games, they like video games, they like card games, they like anything. I think their favorite game right now is actually the blame game. Uh, and it's exactly what you think it is. So the blame game is not uh, some card game, it is somehow being able to look at someone else and saying it's their fault for my behavior. Right? They made me do it. You know, you say, why, why are you hitting your brother? 
My brother made me hit him. My brother made me yell at him. It's, it's not really my fault what's happening. Uh, whatever it is, it's always someone else's fault, right? Very popular game. Uh, I wish we all grew out of it. We don't uh, maybe grow out of it as quickly as, as would be nice, <laughs> right? Because when I look around at our world and the church is not immune, uh, it seems like there, there's a lot of struggling in our world. There's a lot of hard things going on. And there's a lot of people really quick to figure out exactly who it is to blame. And it's hardly ever themselves, right? It's hardly ever a situation where we go, well, let's just look inward and see what kind of difference we can make uh, in this world around us. It's almost always a situation where we look outside, and if you're, uh, I'll just say it, I don't know, if, if you're blue, then you blame the red, and if you're red, then you blame the blue, if you get what I'm saying, right? And it's always someone else. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always, whatever's going on in the world, whatever corruption we see, whatever issues we see, it's always someone else. And that is exactly where we come into our scripture today. The world has changed a lot, but in some ways the world hasn't changed that much. And, and here we're in the second sermon on this series, uh, looking at John the Baptist. Last week we talked about his birth and all the uh, the wonderful situations around that, and an angel came, and it was uh, this wonderful time for uh, Zechariah and for Elizabeth, and they were told that John was going to be born, he was going to be this great prophet. And now, when we get to chapter 3, uh, Jesus is already born, and it just like fast forwards uh, a number of years, and they're both adults now. Um, and we are told uh, that John is ready to start his ministry. He's been living in the wilderness. He's been living in the wilderness since uh, he was first born. It said that at the end of chapter 1, he was raised uh, out in the wilderness, but now the word of God has come to him. So here we are in chapter 3. Jimeline did a wonderful job reading all these names, so I won't even try. So thank you. Really what's happening here is this, this whole list of people who's in, who's in charge in different uh, regions around uh, the, the area we're talking about, and who are these different Roman leaders, who's these different more local leaders, but make no mistake, they're all under the authority of the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire, it's, it's in charge, and it's ruling with an iron fist, and they put kind of different leaders in place to help keep uh, local uh, local authority going on, local pressure going on, so that they can continue to tax uh, the entire area and continue to have their grand army. And, and in a lot of ways in the Bible, this is simply just a way of, of them telling us what time it is, right? So what, what's the date? Uh, they don't count dates the same way we do, but if you figure out all of these people, and actually from sources outside of the Bible, we know that all of these uh, Roman leaders existed. So it really tells us pretty accurately that the time we're talking about is about 27 to 29 A.D. All right, we can just figure that out from outside sources. But what we can't figure out or what we can't see as quickly is that uh, what is going on here is it's kind of like a who's who of corrupt political leaders, right? So, so we don't know all these names, but make no mistake, when Luke was writing this gospel, he was writing to an audience that would have known who these people are. And, and they're not good leaders. There's full, 
There's this time is full of political corruption, and it even seeps into the religious system. So when we start talking about the high priest, there's, there's just corruption all around. It's a who's who of violence, a who's who of, of people that are able to take, uh, yeah, just, just take this violent world and just make it commonplace. They're ruling with an iron fist, and they're doing so uh, in a way that's keeping themselves elevated and keeping the people down, and, and they're all jockeying for position with each other. Who can be more powerful than the other one? And the people are largely living helplessly under these oppressive rulers and tyrants. So sure, it tells us when it's happening, but it also tells us kind of what's going on. And and how does God respond? When the world looks like this, when the world is full of pain, when the world is full of hurt, when the world is in this ugly place, how does God respond? Verse 2. It says, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, and preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As I mentioned earlier, in verse 80 of chapter 1, we're told that John has lived in the wilderness since his birth. But now God has met him in the wilderness in this very Old Testament prophet kind of way. These should kind of echo through the pages of the Bible, and we can see that this is, God is doing something here. God is, God is reaching into this hurt. God is reaching into this painful world, and he's going to do something amazing, and he's going to use John. And prompted by God's call, John, in God's perfect timing, begins to preach. And he get, begins to fulfill his ultimate calling to be this forerunner, to be this one that comes before the Messiah to prepare the way for the Lord. And John goes down to the Jordan River, and he begins to preach a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is so rich right here. There's so much going on, and I, th- I think we easily just, just miss uh, what's going on. So why the Jordan River? It's not just like the most convenient place that there was water. That's, that's how I used to kind of read it. It was like, well, yeah, it goes down to the river because the river has water, and how are you going to baptize if you don't have water? And you're, and Jerusalem's up in the high country. You know, water goes downhill. So, yeah, it goes down to the water. And that is somewhat true, but it's about 20 miles away. And it's more than 1,000 feet of elevation change. Uh, so these people are 20 miles away from this religious center, and they're, they're down in this valley, and there's the Jordan River down there. But you see, way back in the book of Joshua, it was the Jordan River that the Israelite people first crossed through when they entered the Promised Land. Right? So they were slaves in Egypt, and and then they spent their whole time wandering in the wilderness, and then they were going to enter into the Promised Land. And before they got there, they got to the other side of the Jordan, and they had to cross through the waters of the Jordan. Once they crossed through, then they became the Israelite people. Then they became this people that that God had promised this land to. So it's like John is bringing them back to the beginning. 
He's bringing them back to their own origin story. Where do they come from? He's bringing them back to the very waters that they crossed through. The very beginning of their own story. And he's, and he's there and he's, he's saying, you're going to re-enter these waters. You're going to re-enter these waters and come back and you're going to be different. You're going to be different people as you re-enter back into the, your land. I just, I just find this so fascinating. There's, there's so much more going on here. It's not just, oh, here's a convenient uh, lake. No, we do see that. The Ethiopian eunuch, famously, he's uh, journeying along and wants to be baptized. And he says, there's some water over there. Can you just baptize me? And he gets baptized in the water. So that does happen in the Bible. But here, they're specifically at the Jordan River. And there's a reason John is bringing them all there. Now, this whole idea of baptism is also very interesting. This is different than Jesus' baptism. This is different than the baptism that happens later on. When, when Jesus baptizes and when the church still continues to baptize people, that actually signifies what's going on in Christ's own life. So when we enter the waters, it's like a watery tomb or a watery grave, and we die with Christ into the water, and we are brought out as a new creation in Christ's resurrection. That's different than what John is doing. So John is here, he's at the waters, and he's having them go in, and he's having them come out cleansed. So in the temple, this is where you'd mostly see it, in the temple, uh, priests, when they'd be done getting prepared to serve, there was these certain sacred pools outside of the temple, and they would, they would cover themselves in the water, and they would come out as, as the symbol that they are now ready, they are now pure, they are now able to serve in the temple, and it's always temporary. So here they are, they're at the Jordan River, they're not even in the temple, but they're doing this temple thing. And the Pharisees and other teachers during Jesus' time, they've actually taken uh, this, this object lesson from the temple and they've brought it into their own homes and they actually baptize, uh, not always fully themselves, but at least different parts of their body before they do certain things. So we see that later on in the Gospels where... Um, Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And the Pharisees say, why, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Well, what the Pharisees did was they had water and they would baptize their hands. And then they would eat. They're not being like naggy grandmothers that are like, go wash your hands before you eat this dinner. Germ theory was not a thing yet. <laughs> uh, this, this is actually a baptism thing. So they would baptize their hands. So so the people that are coming to the Jordan, they would have some of these things in mind. But what John is doing is really different. The other thing that, that would sometimes happen, or, or at least a lot of scholars think uh, was certainly going on at this time, we know for sure about 100, 150 years later that this was happening, so we can, we can guess pretty good that it was happening back then, was that if you were a non-Israelite person, if you were a non-Jewish person, but you wanted to be a part of that community, the final step in the process was to be baptized. So this is if you're an outsider and you want in, you would do all these things. It would take a long time. It would take years to do this process. And the last step was you would be fully submerged in water and you would come out and that would be the symbol. But that's not who John is calling. These are Israelite people that are coming, and they're coming to the Jordan River, and, 
And John is saying this baptism thing, this is not just for those on the outside that want to be a part of us. We need it too. The insiders, they, they need it too. They need to re-enter this water. They need to come back and they need to live this new life. Now, make no mistake, I mean, I, I mentioned these political leaders, and it's all about power, and it's all about control, and it's all about authority. And they would have been pretty upset that there's this guy out in the wilderness who's drawing people to himself. We talk about this a lot when we're coming up to Easter, but what's the first thing you do if you want to start a rebellion? You build an army. So here's John. He's down by the river. The people are flocking to him. He's baptizing them. He's teaching them. He's leading them. And it is getting noticed. It is getting noticed by the, by the powerful, by the influential, by the wealthy. Verses 4 through 6. Here Luke clearly just ties uh, this into the Old Testament. It's as clear as day. It says, as, as it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, and then here's our quote, it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. So the gospel writer Luke is connecting what John the Baptist is doing here with, uh, with what Isaiah talked about hundreds of years before. John would have known of this connection with Isaiah. We were told in chapter 1 uh, that that's one of the things the angels tells, or the angel tells uh, John's father, Zechariah, is this connection with Isaiah. He will come in the, in the spirit and the power of Isaiah. So you can guess that from an early age, he knew uh, this connection himself. And John's message is actually a hopeful one. It's a message that says things can be right. Things can be made right again. And, and there's a Messiah coming, and, and he's going to do big things. And if, and if the valleys are filled, and if mountains are level, and roads are made straight, and, and everything becomes smooth, and everything's prepared for him, then what does that mean for the human heart? What does that mean for our own condition? If this Messiah is powerful enough to prepare the land, to prepare everything else, then we need to be prepared too. We need to be ready, too. The Jewish people at this point, they're wrapped up in the blame game. That's what's going on here. Everything going wrong in the world is someone else's fault. And, and some of it is, is pretty warranted. Everything, it's these corrupt political leaders. It's this oppressive Roman regime that's, that's crushing us. It's, it's our religious leaders who, who have given in to the pressure, who have, 
who have said, you know, we're, just, we're not going to try to stand up against this. We're just going to try to see if we can use this, this corrupt system to try to gain our own authority, try to gain our own power. It's all a them problem. It's not a us problem. It's not a me problem. It's a, it's a you problem. Right? And John is calling them to something else. He's, he's calling them out to the Jordan. And he's saying, yeah, but you need to get down to the water. You need to re-enter as the, as, into this promised land as, as God's people, and you need to live a right way. And then he begins to teach them in verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath. Talk about a sermon intro. <laughs> right? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? The image here is, is a brood of vipers. It's the descendants of the snakes. Right? Well, there's a snake at the beginning of the Bible. And, and he's the one that's corrupted this humanity. And here they're told that they are children of the snake. And this image is it's of snakes fleeing across a desert land as, as a wildfire comes behind them. And that's what he calls them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, this imagery, you brood of vipers, you children of snakes, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The imagery here is that every good fruit tree bears fruit. And, and we're told elsewhere in the Bible, you can tell a tree by the kind of fruit it produces. So they are to live their lives and, and show evidence of the condition of their hearts. If they're truly repentant, if they're truly wanting to live a new life, truly wanting to live a new way, they're going to enter into these waters, they're going to come back into the land, and it's going to look a certain way. People are going to be able to tell. People are going to look at, at how they act, how they behave, and say something different has happened here. It's like John is saying, so you want to repent, Repent just how you live your lives. Show it with how you love one another. Show it with how you treat those who are less fortunate than you. Show it with how earnestly you seek after God and, and how you pray to Him and, and how you're just you're just in His Word all the time. You're just you're you're in so, such love with God that you're in the Bible and you want to know more about Him. 
You want to know who he is. And this isn't about earning it. That, that's not the point. John the Baptist isn't at this river and he's saying, get in the water and earn it. He's saying, get in there and be something new when you come out. Quit blaming everyone else. The fruit shows the condition of the heart. Verse 10. The people asked what they would naturally ask. They said, well, what should we do then? How should we behave? What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one with those who have none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Or as Jesus puts it in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I just I love these passages because it's it's the simplest thing. It's like, what should we do? What should we do now if, if we want to seek after God, if we want to seek after Him, how, how does our behavior change? Um, and you get the most simple answers ever. You're told to share, to be fair to each other. Don't be mean or cruel, and be happy and be content with what you have. And the reason I love it is because this, this is what we teach our kids, <laughs> right? Like when, when kids are really little, when they're really little and they're growing up and you're trying to just have them be I don't know, a decent human being in the world, th th these are the same lessons. That's why I brought up my kids in the beginning. It's the exact same things you teach the smallest Children, share. Be nice. No hitting. <laughs> Don't be greedy. Don't blame other people. Have integrity in the ordinary things of life. I, I love it because this is, this is not God saying, here's, here's the impossible. So there's some Bible verses that are that way, and and it's kind of like, here's the impossible standard, and then we realize through the impossible standard that we need to lean on God, right? That, that happens in Scripture. That's, that's a good thing. But not so much here. It's kind of like, here's, here's the baseline. Like, why, why have you outgrown these things? Things that we teach the youngest people, but then as people get older and they start to drive up and down the highway, <laughs> there's some mean and cruel actions going on. Right? And they're not God-honoring. And, and then we, we look and it's, you know, be happy. You know, be content with what you have. Why, why are we outgrowing these things? It seems so straightforward. One of my favorite Bible verses is, is actually from an Old Testament prophet, prophet the prophet Micah. Uh, Micah 6.8. 
talking about how we live. How do we live in relationship with God, and how do we live in relationship with the world around us? And it, it says this. This is Micah 6, 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, or sometimes O mortal, is how it is written. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. There's this old sermon story, and I don't know how true it is, but you know how sermon stories are. At least I'm. I listen to enough sermons that half the time you're like, is that story true? But anyway, I don't know how true this is. But people say it in a sermon. And, and there's this young pastor, and he's been brought out to this logging town, right? And don't tie into too much what I'm saying. <laughs> so this young pastor, he's been brought out to this logging town, and, and he's been preaching these sermons, and and he's been out in his community, and, and how this town works is there's a, a great river that goes through, and it's the, the style of logging town where, where you log the trees, and then you put them into the river, and they float down the river to the mill, right? And how these uh, trees often worked, or how this, this time often worked, was you would log the tree, and there was like a brand that you would have, and you would brand the bottom of the tree, the sawed-off part. And each person would have their own, and they wouldn't know who cut down what tree until it got to the mill. And then they would track it all at the mill, right, based on what the brand is on the end of the tree. So this pastor's there, and he's out in his community, and he, and he sees several church attenders who are about halfway down the river, and, and any logs that are getting stuck, they're kind of rolling them out, cutting off about that much on the bottom of the tree, and rebranding them before they go down the river. So the pastor says, well, gosh, I'm pretty sure Scripture says something about this. <laughs> so he preaches a sermon the next Sunday, thou shalt not steal. He goes back out, halfway down the river, sees the same group of guys pulling logs out, cutting off an inch, rebranding them and sending them back down the river. And he says, well, they're not really getting what I'm saying. So the next sermon, the so in the next Sunday, the, the sermon is in, entitled, Thou Shall Not Saw Off the End of Thy Neighbor's Log. <laughs> and then as the sermon story grows, he's promptly run out of town, and they're all offended that, you know, that he actually called them out on something, right? I feel like this is the kind of preacher that John the Baptist is in our own lives. This is, the kind, this is the kind of preacher he is. He's the kind that you come to him, and you've already traveled your 20-something miles. You've gone down a thousand feet. You're like, just baptize me and let me leave. And, he's, and he starts off with, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee? Wrath is coming. And, and there's an element where I think we're comfortable with what the Bible says if we can keep it at arm's length especially if we can keep it 2,000 years ago. That's the easiest thing to do. I think you can go to church, you can be like, yeah, I want to study the Bible, I want to know everything about it, and I'll leave it as a historical document. I'll leave it in the past, and as long as it doesn't affect my life too much, that's uncomfortable. If it actually makes me act different, you know, Monday through Saturday, well, I don't know about that. 
And I just go on Sunday morning and check it off the list. And there, I did my religious thing. And I think John the Baptist would say, that's not good enough. Produce fruit. Prove it. Prove that you, that you believe this stuff, that this is part of who you are, that this is wired into who you are, that you're seeking after him. Your life should look a certain way. Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then it goes on in verse 18, and with many other words, John extorted, or extorted, <laughs> extorted uh, the people <laughs> and proclaimed the good news to them. He's making such an impact in their lives, and they've come to him, and they're, they're logically thinking, is this the Messiah? Or is this not? Is this the one that we've been waiting for? Is this the promised one? And John could have used this opportunity to, to puff himself up, to build his own popularity, to, to kind of cultivate this, this new movement that would be around him. And instead, he uses this opportunity to point other people to Jesus. Verse 19, but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodotus, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done. Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So our passage ends with John speaking truth into power, speaking truth into uh, political power in this way, and he gets thrown in prison. I might talk about it more in another week, but Herodotus, so, the, so there's Herod the Great. We talked a little bit about that last week. He's the one that when Jesus is born, uh, Herod the Great's the leader. And then he has three descendants who are currently leading different areas. And it's three of the people mentioned at the beginning of this in, in John chapter 3, uh, verse 1. So this Herod is one of those three. And his brother is one of the other three. So now, now he's marrying his brother's wife, so he's, he's basically going to cause war. It's what's happening. I don't know if they're uh, in love. We, we really can't tell, but, but there's a whole lot of political jockeying that's always going on. And Herodotus is actually the daughter of one of these other people. So, so now he's not only causing problems with his brother and his brother's like, area of control, he's causing problems with his future father-in-law, in his area of control, and he's probably going to start a war. And there's going to be a lot of innocent people that are going to die because of this. So in a very prophet-like way, often in the Old Testament, the prophets 
speak directly to kings and those in power. In a very Old Testament prophet kind of way, John rebukes Herod. And John gets thrown into prison. And we'll talk about what happens after that in future weeks. But real quickly, our our takeaway for today is that we have these people who are coming down to the water and they want to blame everyone else for what's going on. They, They have it all figured out. I know that's never you. You never feel like you have it all figured out. But they have figured out the whole world. They got everyone in their little box. And they know what's going wrong. And John points them in a different direction. He says it's not all about them. Actually, a lot of what's going on is about us. It's not all about you. A lot of what's going on is about me. It's about individuals. It's about people that are not living in a right relationship with their God. And he's calling them into this new baptism, something new. And part of what, it, it reminds me of the, the serenity prayer, which I'm sure many of you are, are somewhat familiar with. I'll, I'll say it to you, it might sound more familiar, but this dates back to 1932. And it goes like this. It's, it's a prayer for your own time of meditation. And it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change the courage to change things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right? Sound familiar? Right? I like this newer version. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the version that, that's like the people version? <laughs> so it's not just about things. It's about people. I love it. It's so good. It's so good. It goes like this. God, grant me the ability to accept the people I cannot change. The courage to change the person I can. And the wisdom to know that it's me. (laughs) I love it. Cross-stitch that, put it on a pillow. I don't know. It sounds great.